Welcome to the first episode of the While They're Sleeping podcast. It's very likely this is the only episode. First and last. Yes, first and last. Unless we uh, unless we get picked up by BetterHelp or ZipRecruiter for sponsorship. Whoop, hit us up. We are open to uh, partnering together. <laughs> I am in my once a quarter um, whoop contemplation. Yeah, I think about it all the time too, but I just... Can't get there with the monthly fee. Yeah. No watch face. I just can't. So, what are we doing here today? Um, Chad just got. Oh, I'm Nick. This is Chad. This is Chad. <laughs> Chad just got back from running the Coca Dona 250, 250 mile ultra marathon. And, Chad, you wrote this race recap and it's great. And I read through it and I'm like, wow, this is, this is a week. This is an experience that you had out there. But I couldn't help be like, there's so much more I want to know. And I thought we would just have a conversation about it. We usually talk about your longer races anyway. And I mm-hmm. figured we'd record it. Um, and we'll see if this ever hits the light of day. If if we have any listeners someday. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's three of you out here who will listen to this. Chad's mom, my mom, and maybe someone else. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, the idea is just to talk through the race in a bit more detail i want to hear you know more about what's going through your mind what the terrain was like what the people were like around you but why don't we start a little bit about like leading up to the race your training your Mm -hmm. preparation you know how did you how did you hear about the race and how did you prepare for it you know there's not too many 200 mile races like point-to-point 200-mile races in the country. There's probably only, I think there's only maybe four. Um, so when one when a new one pops up, it's it's typically notable. So there's three races. It's Cocodona is 250-milers, and there's Tahoe 200, which I did last year. And then there's Moab 240, and there's Bigfoot 200. So this one race was new, and all those other races have been going on for maybe ten years or so. So this one started in twenty twenty one. But yeah, you see the race. I mean, I don't, you know, I didn't feel a need to want to do the inaugural race. Also, I just was starting out an ultra, so I wasn't even ready to do a two hundred mile race. But I followed along. You know, it seemed pretty rough. I mean, two fifty at the time wasn't really a distance that I was even close to thinking about. I think at that point I had done one maybe two ultras by the time this race started um but i definitely like i followed it i knew a lot of just the competitors who raced it there a lot of them are just big time runners a lot of elites and pros um so i always had it in the back of my mind and so i I knew after i did tahoe that i definitely wanted to try cocodona after tahoe went pretty well and yeah, I mean, so the, so the training is, you know, leading up to it, it's tough in New York to really duplicate the conditions and the terrain and everything like that. I mean, Cocodona's in Arizona, it's in the desert, it's very hot, there's a lot of climbing. You know, all the none of these things really exist in New York. I mean, you can only go up Harlem Hill so many yeah, times. Yeah, you can, I mean, you can kind of get in New Jersey, there's some decent trails, but it's not going to be hot and it's not going to be as technical um so like what i would do i would do a lot of stuff on the treadmill just climb up 
is fine. I mean, that's half the battle, but there's also like the downhill aspect, which you can't really train for unless you're out on the trails. But I did a lot of stuff on the treadmill. I, I did some stuff on the trail. There's like a trail in upstate, um, starting uptown and goes upstate New York, the long path trail. I did a long effort on that. Um, but just also just try to get more miles, period. I mean, they were pretty flat, but they were more like for me, like 100 mile a week is a lot. Um, so I, w- I worked up to like a couple hundred mile weeks, settled in in like the 80 to 90 mile a week stretch or per- like window um, for a good stretch. Um, and then tapered off. I mean, I had some stuff with my back that acted up throughout, but I mean, that is what it is. Um, yeah, I want to I want to talk about that in a second. But when you when you're trying to get more elevation training or just vertical, I should say, not elevation, is the treadmill like supplementary to your 80 mile weeks, or is that included in there? Like, are you on the stairmaster just for fun after a run in the morning? No, but I think going forward it might be more of a supplementary. I would really only do the treadmill once a week, and then building up, I would be on there for maybe maybe two hours at like 15% at like four miles an hour. So you can get some good. Just like, just like hiking, walking. Yeah, exactly. Like walking slow trot, but you can get like five, 6,000 feet that way, which is pretty good. Um, obviously there's no downhill and it's terrain just isn't, you know, it's just never going to be like that, but it's still good effort and getting used to just, using more climbing muscles, but yeah, I would do that once a week, maybe hit the Stairmaster, not as much as I probably should have, but maybe once a week. You must be, if you're, if you're on a treadmill for two hours at four miles an hour, 10%, you must be just drenched in sweat. Drenched. Like talk about the heat. That's got to be almost heat training in itself. Drenched. <laughs> I would have to switch treadmills. It was just oh like, it's just too much. And once there's a couple of treadmills that Jim, I use, it's the max is 15 on most, but then one goes up to 18%, which I didn't even realize. But, you know, when you're switching treadmills, you kind of find the one that <laughs> goes up a little more, which helps. I mean, the difference between 15% and 18% is it's actually pretty significant. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would use that. And that was a lot of my climbing during the week. And then closer to the race, I would get a zip car and, like, go to find some trails that are maybe about an hour radius from Manhattan and there's a couple, but most of the time it was just loops or out and backs or repeats, which is fine. But, you know, I didn't want to get the zip car for like $80 an hour and just yeah go up there, park it, and then run for five hours. I was, couldn't do that too many weeks in a row. Did you do anything for heat? I mean, most of your training was in like early spring in New York, which is not particularly hot. It's not certainly not the desert. Yeah. Nothing for he. I was doing some sauna sessions leading up. You know, I thought it was fine. Like I thought I was, I was getting like thirty minutes here and there, but just didn't, didn't get nearly enough as I could. Um, but then I ended up just getting a sauna. So that's <laughs> just, just that was one of your takeaways. It was just not going to happen again. So I'll just be living in Wait, the but, sauna. So now, I mean, not to not to jump ahead, right? But you come over from the race. You get a sauna. You have a sauna in your apartment now, but it's like what five, six square feet. What can you do in there? Are you? Can you do anything active in the sauna no. next time? No, no you're, just it's, you're just sitting. It's like I say, it's about three, three and a half feet by three and a half feet by like call it six feet. So it's 
it's about as big as maybe like a large refrigerator, a little taller. So it's it's big enough. You could fit two people in there. It'd be tight, but plenty big for one person. It gets up to like 150. It's an infrared sauna, so no water, no, no like steam. So it's good. You can sit in there for 30, 45 minutes and don't feel like you're burning alive like in some of the steam rooms out mm-hmm. there. Um, just hop in there after a run, which is great. So I'm gonna be doing that. I'm, I've been doing it every day since I got it. So about. So you come back from a run. You're already you're already warm. You want to cool down. Instead, you go sit. In the yeah, sauna. I'll either do that or I'll just do it before bed. Just like wow, those are the only two times we like get it in. But yeah, it's great. So you mentioned your back. Um, you had an issue with your back in the winter. Right? I think it was February or yeah, March. Exactly. What happened then? And, you know, was it an issue for you as you got closer to the race? Yeah, I don't even know what happened. I guess I did did a couple runs. Like, you know, it's got, I kept getting this pain in my, like, glute. Like, it wasn't really even in my back. So I started, like, Googling all this stuff. I was like, oh, it could be this, could be that. I started just, like, do some exercises, see if it would go away. It wasn't really going away. I normally do those. I give it a, those stuff, like, a week. If it doesn't go away in a week, I go see a doctor. I went to the doctor, like a spine doctor. He's like, oh, you should get an MRI. Could probably be like a herniated disc. So I'm like, all right, get an MRI. Like they confirmed it. But, you know, I felt like I was getting better. Like it couldn't have been that severe. But, I mean, apparently it it was herniated. I mean, there's different. He was giving me all like the ranges and the recovery times and all this stuff. But, I mean, he gave me some exercises. He gave me like a cortisone injection. And it started to get better. So I maybe was down for two weeks, came back, and I was able to, like, build up my mileage fine. It wasn't really a problem. I just was hypersensitive of, like, warming up and cooling down and doing these stretches, these band work, all this stuff. He gave me, like, a 10-page printout of all these stretches. So I just started doing those, and then, like, it was fine. And then I guess during the taper, it kind of just came back, which is weird. Like, you would think if it's, like, you're reducing your mileage. It wouldn't want to act up. Did you have like a really big peak week before your taper? I kind of, I mean, I kind of did. I had like, I mean, maybe it was like a hundred, hundred some miles, but I was feeling pretty good that week. Like I did a big run from Connecticut back to new to Manhattan. It was like 40 miles. Fine. And then I did like a run the following day of no, no issues. And then it was just kind of maybe a week and a half after that, two weeks after that, just started like slowly coming back. I'm like, oh man, this is like right on time. Um, so I got another injection and I just didn't run for like a week, week and a half leading up to the race, which is like, you know, you're never going to make any more gains, but it's more just for confidence. I like to just, just like to run just to like stay fresh um, even though you're not going to really lose much if you don't, and you're not going to really gain much, but it's it's never great to like not run. Because I wanted to get out there early, maybe run a couple of days, but instead I just got out there, I like walked five miles one day and then just, just rested. Were you nervous that it would be a problem in the race, that it would flare up at all? Yeah, it definitely was, especially with the pack and like carrying a heavy bag. But then I was like, well, at some point you're just going to be so, so sore and just tired that it you know it's just, just one of 10 things yeah, that are bothering just you <laughs> like you just gotta deal with so many other issues and it ended up actually not being a problem like i guess taking the time off before helped 
Um, but yeah, it was manageable. So you you know, two hundred fifty mile race over the course of five days in the desert. You've got to carry a lot of stuff with you, and then there's also a number of drop bags that you have to set up along the course. What do you what do you put in these drop bags? How are they spread out? Like, how does the like supplies work that you need to set up ahead of time? You no know, races that are point to point that aren't looped races because there's a lot of ultras out there that are maybe on a two mile loop, so you can keep all your stuff at the start line, which is the finish, and you can just pass by it and. You know, it's it's pretty convenient, but for point-to-point races, there's typically aid stations throughout. And, like, at, at certain aid stations, they allow, like, drop bags, which is basically, like, a big backpack you can fill up with pretty much anything. Most people put food in it, you know, change of clothes, shoes, you know, electrolytes, warm clothes for, like, the cold weather sections, stuff to sleep with, you know, medical stuff. So this race, I think you could have, I think it was like 12 drop bag eligible aid stations. So I took advantage of all 12. I mean, sometimes runners, they have crew there. So like people who follow them around. So they don't really use the drop bag setup. Maybe they have one or two, but the crew that, that they're with carries all their stuff and just follows them around. But Especially for the solo runners, the drop bags are, are vital. Like they, the race wouldn't be possible without them. I mean, there's just too much stuff to carry um, that you just can't carry at all. So when you come into an aid station, in your mind, you're like, I got to get to my bag because yeah. I've got stuff in there that I want. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and volunteers will help you out. Like you write your number on the bag and... You know, you kind of plan out the drop bags based on kind of what when you think you'll get there. Like, you know, you're leaving one aid station, you think maybe at 5 p.m., but you maybe not get to the other one until like one in the morning. So, you know, it's going to be pretty cold. So maybe you put your warm weather or your cold weather clothes in there. So there's there's some of that planning going on. And that's kind of how I approach the drop bag. I mean, I didn't pack them full with, with everything, like everything in the world. I mean, I had a good sense of like necessities and I tried to just put everything in every drop bag, like socks. I just put socks in every drop bag. I put shirts. I tried to put like a sweater in every one if I could. Um, like portable chargers are a big one. So just like a battery pack. How many battery packs did you have? With I had like at least 12 batteries. <laughs> 12 packs. battery packs. At least 12. Because <laughs> you're charging your phone, which is, has the course map on it. You're charging your, you know, a lot of times you have like, headlamps or waist lamps that you're charging um and you yeah, charge you your watch too or your watch charge your watch yeah. and my watch even died because i just wasn't even focusing on it so i mean it's it's a I mean, when you have your phone on all day even though mine was in airplane mode for like 99 percent of the race it's you go through a lot you go through a lot i definitely and i bought an extra one while i was down there because i was worried i was gonna just die one of them was gonna die so the chargers. The chargers. Yeah. Yeah. And w- so what? what's in your pack that you're carrying with you at all times? Is there? Is it basically just a subset of everything in your drop bags, or are there other materials that you need more frequently in between the aid stations? Yeah, so in the pack, there's typically like mandatory gear you have to carry throughout the race. So that's like calories. So maybe like 
500 calories minimum, like mandatory. Really? Yeah. So most of the time you, that can be just a couple bars, couple kind bars or Luna bars or cliff bars. Um, there's a mandatory like emergency blanket, like a, like a bivy. I don't know if any camper, like bivvies are basically super compact. They say like aluminum foil blanket, like those, those blankets you get after marathons and stuff that they wrap you in. So that's mandatory. You have to carry that throughout the race. Um, your phone is mandatory. Um, and then I like to put stuff like electrolytes in there. I like to carry like pants, like long pants, just like, because you never know when you're going to need them. And when you need them, like, it's typically, you don't really expect to need them. So I don't try to guess like when I think on the, so I just always carry them and they're pretty light. Is the map on your phone or is that downloaded onto your watch or the maps on the phone? Some people, you can download it to the watch. If you have a Garmin, I just keep it on my phone. It's just like a GPS app and you just download the route and then you can just, it's just like an arrow and you follow it along. It's, it's, it's helpful, especially in courses, you know, it's 250 miles. Like they can't just have markers every 50 feet. So sometimes it's, you're just going straight for a long time and you just want to make sure you're not going the wrong way. And you're going to be alone for parts of it too. It's not yeah. like you can just follow the leaders. Yeah. You're going to be alone for hours and hours. So then it's going to be dark and you just want to, sometimes you just check it. I mean, they do a good job marking the course maybe once every half mile there's stuff sometimes it feels like way longer than that and still you definitely get lost in portions but um so yeah those are like the mandatory stuff but then there's water like the required water you know in this race there wasn't really a requirement beyond the first section for water but i was probably carrying like two liters probably a minimum throughout um, which is kind of like a camel back full and then i had like some refillable bottles some filtration bottles um some gels and so at like its that. heaviest all the waterfall all the heavy clothes in your bag what do you think you're carrying at the heaviest i mean the heaviest i was carrying at most at one time was probably five liters which is probably i think that's like 14 or 15 pounds of water and then carrying that so maybe it's probably somewhere between 15 and 20 maybe maybe 15 and 18. So yeah, it's kind of, it's pretty heavy. And if you're just carrying that, you know, and you're just standing, it's kind of heavy. But if you're trying to be a little quick, it, it can, it can definitely slow yeah, you I'm, down. Yeah. I'm just trying to picture, you know, you're holding two 10 pound plates on a backpack while you're doing your like four uh, temper, 15% incline yeah, on the treadmill exactly. for two hours in, in 90 degree heat. I know. I, def- I definitely underappreciate how heavy, like, a lot of water is. Like, water's pretty heavy. I mean, it's without the water, the bag would have been pretty reasonable. It would have probably definitely would have been under 10 pounds, but the water adds a lot of extra weight. Yeah. So I tried not to fill all my water throughout the course of the race, but, you know, it was it was definitely uh, definitely heavy at times. So let's get into the race itself. I'm curious about the start line it's five in the morning there's a couple hundred people in the race what's the energy like is it are people like nervous about how hard it's about to be are people amped up the way they are at the start of a marathon like what's what's that energy like at the start yeah i mean it's weird it's definitely not like a marathon start a marathon start is kind of like you know there's forty thousand people there's people there who are like 
people are going to walk the thing. There's elites there. There's pros there. There's fireworks. There's all these bells and whistles. You know, this race has started at five in the morning. It's pitch black. You know, there's, there's definitely pros there and elite runners there. And, you know, there's like social media people, like influencers there. So there's definitely like a lot of professionals who are like, they have their crew, they got cameras on them and things like that. But the vast majority of people, they're just kind of there and they're like in the zone. You know, they're saying goodbye to the family and friends who are with them or maybe be crewing them. But it's a pretty calm start. You know, a lot of pent up, you know, nervous energy. And it's, it was about 200 people and it's a mass start. And people kind of position themselves. Like if you think you're a little quicker, you go towards the front. So there's not like it's such a long race. There's no like egos. There's no people aren't really trying to just like be in the front to be in the front where and you're not, no one's just like going out sprinting. It's kind of just people kind of settle in immediately to where they think they stand in terms of the pack. And they just, you know, a lot of running in the beginning, you know, Congo lines, people passing people, you know, moving along. Is it fun at the start? Is that- It's kind of just like, I don't know. It's funny. It's like people are very just locked in. I mean, there's a couple of people, you know, smiling, chit chatting and having a good time. But for the most part, it's just like, you know, they, they pass a sign. They got a little flag pulling their ground. It's like 250 miles to go. And it's like, it was like, Oh man, it's like, <laughs> this is like a four day affair. So you're just trying to get through the first, you know, the first section. And they also warned how hard the first section was. So people had that in the back of their mind and they're just, yeah, so let's the the first twelve hours of your race was, you know, the first thirty three or so miles, first fifty k. A couple notes here. You described it to me as the hardest fifty k of your life. So hard. your heart rate hit one hundred ninety nine at about three hours in. The temperature is greater than ninety degrees. I was looking at your Garmin data. So you're yeah. you're climbing. Yeah. Elevation, it's greater than 90 degrees. Wow, your heart 199? rate's... 199? Wow. 199 was your peak heart rate. Now, I don't know if that was from a strap or, or on your wrist. Still, that's probably accurate. <laughs> I was looking as well. Probably Over the whole four days, you had the most frequent stops of your whole... Like, the the you were stopping most frequently during the first 12 hours. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. That's probably... Yeah. So, this must have been just... Just absolutely horrible. Like, what was this like? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to really explain. Like, it, you know, like kind of like imagine maybe people like the hardest thing you maybe ever done to like physical thing. Maybe it was like a mile test or you know a marathon or a hard like CrossFit workout. I mean. And then just like multiply that by like 10 or 15. Like it was just, and you know, I did, I've done a couple hundred mile races, 150 mile races, 200 mile races. I think that 50 K was harder than the last 200 mile I did easily. Like I was never in that much pain throughout the entirety of like the Tahoe 200. Wow. I mean, there were section like, cause it, you know, 10,000 feet of climbing over 32 miles. I mean, it's a lot. It's like 300 feet a mile, which is tough to kind of picture if you're not familiar with that kind of stuff. But that alone is a lot. And then you layer in the heat. 
it's it's just brutal. In the first year, you know, the 2021 inaugural race, it caught a lot of people off guard. Like there was a lot of, you know, professionals and people who live in Arizona and run those sections every day, like elite runners who were just dropping out from getting rhabdo, they're getting dehydrated. So they, you know, they implemented like a mandatory water minimum to carry and you were running out of water halfway through and they had a refill station and it was, it was just insane. Like you don't think it's like, you, you knew it was going to be hard. They, they definitely built it up. Everyone was kind of expecting it. And I mean, it, it lived up to it. I mean, it was, I never moved that slow in my life. It would be like, I was, it'd take me 45 minutes to go one mile. And I was like, what's going on? There's 220 miles left. So you threw up a, you said multiple times. Threw up a couple of times. I'm from like, what? I don't even know. I mean, it was so, the effort was so. Have you ever thrown up from, from a race before? Never thrown up from any activity, any physical activity. Like, Did that catch you off, caught, caught, caught you off guard? Caught I mean, that would have been a little alarming. Then. Caught me off guard. Like, I'm lucky there's no other runners who were around because they probably would have gotten kind of nervous and maybe try to like call the medical. So I'm glad that they weren't around. But yeah, I felt a little better after it happened. But it was just weird. And my electrolytes and stuff, I'm sure, was out of whack. I'm sure I wasn't drinking enough water because I was nervous about running out of water. So all those factors probably just didn't help. What about the muscles? Like, did you feel bonked? Did your legs feel like you had nothing there? Or is yeah, it more... I mean, the muscles, yeah. I mean, just like the fatigue overall. Just like the whole body was just so tired from the heat. There was no shade. Like, I, you can't get a good rhythm. You're Like, the terrain is like bowling ball, loose rocks, like slippery rocks, loose sand, loose ground. So it's not like a nice, smooth trail. I mean, the East Coast has, like, some de- – like, and even in Tahoe, like, those trails are really well kept. You know, they're horse quality. Like, horses can, like, travel mm-hmm. over them. Like, these are – these weren't even runnable. No one was running. Not even runnable. But like, <laughs> yeah, it was just, so all of that stuff just compounded and then just like not being prepared for the terrain. Like I just wasn't, like I just didn't expect it. I mean, there's, maybe there wasn't much I could have done to really duplicate it, but it was just, it was just so difficult. And, you know, you start out pretty well, then you just see yourself getting passed by like so many people. And, you know, then you maybe you pass some of them back, but it's just like such a demoralizing start to a race. But I mean, then you get to the top and it's just, you know, everyone there just kind of like scream. Like you get to the top and you just like you let out some just like howl of relief. And then you go to get to the, like the next aid station and you just like collapse there. So one of the things you wrote in your recap about this section that I wanted to ask about is you said... There were moments when I felt great and others where I wanted to throw myself off the side of the mountain. Now, I I think I can understand this throw yourself off the side of the mountain. <laughs> you've 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 driven that point home. But what did good feel like? Like was there shade? What did it No, there's Was there like little bits of downhill? There's definitely times where it's like you know, you check your watch and then you check it again and you're like, "Oh, I've actually gone a decent amount of distance." And by a decent amount of distance, I'm talking like maybe half a mile, three quarters of a mile without like stopping. 
maybe a mile. So you're like, all right, I'm like feeling pretty good. Like it's maybe not as steep as it was because it, it, it wasn't just straight up. So it'd be like up and then you go down some and then you just go back up. And you know, whenever you're going down, you're like, oh, I'm going to have to regain all this. So there's some like downhill stuff where like, all right, like maybe you can kind of do a slow little jog situation. But then it's just like all your hope is lost and you're going back up again. So, I mean, there was one nice part where like there was like a nice like mountainous like body of water, like a little lake or something that I could, I filtered some water and drank it, which was like, which was nice because I was like literally dying of thirst. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there weren't many moments of those, but there was some. And then like towards the, when you realize you only have a couple miles left that you get a little energy boost. But yeah, most of the 99% of the time, it was just pure, pure misery. Did you ever um, think about quitting during the first 50K? You can be honest. No, I mean, I no never, one's listening anyway. I never really thought about quitting. Like it's, I never really thought about quitting. It was definitely like, it was definitely super uncomfortable. But I, I mean, I knew that like, I couldn't really like DNF. I couldn't DNF in the first 50 K. Like I would just, I would just never forgive myself for doing that. So I wasn't really, you know, I didn't really feel like I was in pain, like dire straits. Like I definitely knew I was pretty messed up and I was probably slowing down a lot more given that like, look, if the race was just the 50 K could I have gone faster? Yeah, probably. Like if, if the race just ended after that. Um, but I knew, I knew it was like, this was the hardest part of the race by far. So I was like, I just got to get through this mm-hmm. and you know, it can't be any worse than this. So you, you get through it and for the next six hours or so for the rest of the first day, you have some downhill sections, you have access to your bags, aid stations, you're running. You said you, you ran with a lady for, you know, a good chunk of yeah. miles. And I wanted to ask about the camaraderie out there. When you find someone, is there like an obligation to stay with them? Is there an obligation to talk or do you just run side by side next to each other? Like what's the atmosphere like among the other runners? You know, for the people who aren't like competing for the win, it's very like it, you know, the ultra scene, and even for the people who are competing for the win, I mean, the ultra scene is just very, like, it's unlike any other, I think, athletic atmosphere. I mean, it's, sure, it's competitive, but most of the competition, I mean, especially in a race of this duration, like, unless you're with someone for two, three days, like, you're not with them for very long. Like, you'll because run Because why? Them. Because someone says... I'm, I want to go faster or I need a longer break. Yeah, or it's like, you know, you go to aid station to aid station, you know, even if you get to the aid station at the same time, like you're not really, you're not just like sitting next to them and like waiting on them because they have their crew, like they're doing their own thing. So unless you like, maybe you stay together for a while and you're like, hey, let's run this raid. Like, you know, we're having a good thing going. So like, let me know when you head out, I'll head out with you. But typically, it's not really like that. You just kind of maybe you see someone, especially in the night sections, which which this first one was like you find someone, you stick with them. It makes the night sections go by a little quicker. Like, you know, if you're not if they're a little faster than you, a little slower than you, like no one cares. Like you you can just like pass them or go ahead. Um, but it does help. I mean, if anything, you're just put both pushing each other. But, yeah, the camaraderie is is unbelievable in these kind of races. And it's for a good reason. I mean, 
there's a handful of people who are like competing to win. And most of the time you're out there for four or five days. You can't just, you know, everyone that comes up to you just trying to be super competitive with all of them. It just, right. It'd be a terrible experience. So the, the aid stations, I know it's not like this, but I can't help but like picture a marathon or an Ironman aid station, which is like a couple folding tables with people and then cups of Gatorade, you know, from what you describe about like eating proper meals and having sleeping cots, it looks like these aid stations are like a really thorough setup. Describe the aid stations in a bit more detail. I'm curious. I mean, a lot of the aid stations are, you know, I'd say most of them at this race, you know, very high quality. All of them have like full menu of food and they typically send the menu out ahead of time i'm not talking like steaks and stuff. it's mostly like burgers maybe burritos tacos you know sometimes it's like pancakes bacon and then they have a lot of like grab and go stuff maybe like chips like like candies and they have you know sometimes hot drinks cold drinks so it's pretty like pretty much any kind of just like standard nutrition that you could need at the aid stations. You know, some of the aid stations have like sleep capabilities. So maybe in this race, there were like indoor sections to sleep because maybe the aid station would be at a campsite or at like near a, you know, convention center type thing. Um, so yeah, some of them are equipped with sleeping areas, which you know ahead of time. So you can kind of plan your sleep sleep schedule around that. But yeah, the aid stations are very stocked, and a lot of them have medical people there as well. Um, and again, these aid stations are vital, especially for runners who are solo, because again, they have food and things like that. Like you need to have real food for right. these kind of races. You can't just be having goos and gels. Um, you're just not going to eat. You have to have proper meals. Yeah, like a lot of them will have like pizza. Some will have like you know made to order stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the aid stations are, are unbelievable. Yeah. Especially this race. They were, they're outstanding. So in the first night you had a 10 mile stretch that started at about one in the morning, mm-hmm. 10 miles, basically straight uphill, like a consistent gradual hill. Um, it's pitch black. It took you five hours to go these 10 miles. Yeah. You had a lot of stops. You're walking. I mean, I'm just trying to trying to picture you know there's no clear paved trail it's pitch black it's probably very technical and with your headlamp you can see what three feet in front of you like what and this is only night one of what would be four nights yeah how lonely is that how challenging is it i mean what are you feeling in this first night i'm trying to remember this section if i was with anyone can't really remember but i mean you know on the headlamp thing so i there's there's a, you know, there's headlamps and there's like these waist lamps that are actually pretty, pretty powerful. Like I have one that's like, it's called a Kogala light. So it's, it's actually very bright. So it can illuminate actually a decent amount of the trail. I mean, it's still very dark, but you know, so in terms of the, the darkness is never like really an issue as long as that light's working. But yeah, it's very, you know, you're just alone. I mean, if I don't know if anyone's ever like just been in the woods at night, just walking. Like it's. I mean, I'm not really listening to music much, mostly because like the headphones die, and I don't want to be using my chargers on 
and get more value in other yeah i don't want to use my charter to charge my headphones like and also just kind of hurts your head after a while so you're just kind of out there you're kind of listening to your thoughts you're just kind of watching your clock trying to just like break up the section as much as possible but how often are you are you like navigating yourself on your phone closely or do you generally have a sense and you check every couple minutes yeah i mean generally have a sense a lot of time it's like you're on a path and there's not there's nowhere else it can go like sometimes there's a fork in the road and if it's not marked you just double check but most of the time you're on a on a route where it's just like okay straight is this the only way to go so you don't really need to check often um and then occasionally you see some headlamps up ahead which is great you know you always it's always good to just see other people out there so you can you know Maybe you run up to them and maybe you stick with them for a couple miles, chat it up, and then you just go on your separate way. But, yeah, I mean, the nights are definitely tough. I mean, it's tough. You you hear stuff, you see stuff, and it's like, let's get to the daytime. I mean, when the daytime <laughs> comes, it's great. I mean, what, it's, which I forget, which animals did they warn you about again on this one? This one? I mean, there was rattlesnake concerns. I don't think there was – I mean, people say, say they saw some mountain lions. I didn't see any. Um, I don't think there's, I mean, maybe bears are around in the Arizona area. I don't know, but I didn't see any. So I, I think the wildlife itself was definitely, you know, I didn't really encounter really any. It was definitely not as bad as Tahoe. Like Tahoe, there was like multiple bear sightings and stuff like that. So this one was pretty, it was mostly just like a lot of bugs, a lot of like mm. desert type animals. Yeah. Um, wasn't too bad. So at the end of that first night, you're 24 hours in. Yeah. You had a couple opportunities to sleep and you chose not to twice at, at, at two of the two of the aid stations. And you wrote, I had all my wits about me at this stage, which I knew wouldn't last forever. So I wanted to take advantage of that and keep moving if possible. But this is, you know, again, day one of five days. You know, what's the what's the calculation like? When do you feel like it's worth it to stop for a longer period of time to sleep you know what's the marginal benefit of staying awake after 24 hours when you you know your wits are about you like i'm just trying to understand that decision to to stop or to keep going at any given point yeah i mean i mean that was a mistake like you know it's definitely a mistake i mean it helps you know sometimes races they start at like maybe 10 a.m a little later in the day. So you're kind of awake longer before they start. So you just will get tired earlier into the race. You know, this race started at five in the morning. So you kind of just, you wake up and you just, maybe there's a couple hours that you're awake before the race starts, but you're coming into it. You know, you're, you got a lot of sleep in the bank and you know, the first 24 hours, look, if, if some people sleep in the first 24 hours, like, you, you you meet with some runners and there was some crazy like s- sleep strategies people underwent. Like I talked to one guy who he slept for 10 hours in one stretch. He took a, he took a full night's he slept sleep. He for 10 hours. And I mean, he beat me. I mean, so I was like, wow. there's different strategies you can take. And, you know, Looking back, I definitely should have slept because you, you, know, you get in your head, you're like, oh, I can't stop. Like, then I'll just fall behind. But at a certain point, you're just so tired that you're just you're moving forward. But it's just like so inefficient, like you might as well just stop. And if you're in between aid stations, you're not going to really be efficient with your sleep. So I should have definitely slept earlier. 
even though maybe I say I wasn't tired. I mean, I definitely was exhausted, but you hit that first, like the second daylight and you get a boost of energy and you're like, Oh yeah. Like let's keep on going. Like I can, like, why should I sleep? It's 90 degrees out. I think I can just push forward to the next night. Um, so is that, is that really, it's a sense of like, I can keep going. So I should. And in your mind, you're like, I only want to sleep when there's no choice and my body's telling me I have to be horizontal. Yeah. I mean, that's, whether that's or not that's kinda, wrong is another yeah, no, thing. That's, that's you know. kind of like another thing was like I looked at where the sleep stations were positioned and they were they had three in a row at kind of various points. You know, I think it was like mile maybe sixty five through like eighty or something. They had the three aid stations in a row, all about like sleep capabilities. So I hit the first one. I was like, okay, I'm feeling okay, but like, you know, I know the next one has a sleep spot, and I get to the next one, I'm like, okay, well. I know the last one has also next one also has a sleep spot. So I was like, okay, let me just push to that one. And so I pushed to that one and it's like the middle of the day. It's super hot. You know, I get in there and like, I try to sleep. It just like, I probably should have tried harder, but it just like, didn't really work. Like I just, mm-hmm. I just couldn't really sleep. Um, so I just got up. I took like 30 minutes, you know, I got up, grabbed some food and just like took off again. But yeah, looking back, I probably should have just slept in the night. Like I probably should have just done my, done all my sleeping at night for for however long it was. And again, like if just some like some other people's sleep schedules. I know like I heard of one guy who would go fifty miles and sleep six hours, then go fifty miles wow. and sleep six hours. Like and these people like they finish. I mean, some people like look, if you're gonna win the race, like you're not sleeping six hours. Like the first place finishers, top ten finishers, like they're not sleeping much at all, maybe thirty minutes, an hour. But I mean, for most other people, like you just have to figure out what's most efficient. Like the the last two hundred mile I did, I mean, it was only two hundred, it wasn't two fifty, but I slept I definitely slept earlier. Like I think I slept at mile fifty or something like that. So it was, it was definitely a lot earlier. It was the middle of the night. But again, that was a later start, so I definitely was more tired at that point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just like a live and learn, and which it's it's one thing why why I want to probably do it again is like you just like figure out the course, you figure out like what spots you're tired at, what spots make sense to do during the day instead of at the night. So maybe you should sleep at like a night section. So little things like that. So in the second day, it's hot again, not as hot as the first day, but it's hot. You had a couple sections on streets and roads, which you said was a bit of a relief. Yeah. But one of the things you wrote, you said you used one of those sections as a way to make up some time. Did you have a sense, you know, 24, 30 hours in that you were like, I'm using air quotes, behind or behind where you wanted to be? Or just the fact that you'd be moving at a good pace was encouraging and you wanted to keep doing that. Like, did you know, did you have a goal that you were off of? I mean, at that point I didn't really even know where I was positioned. I just knew that the first section just took me so long that like, I mean, I was definitely behind. Like I just, and I knew like the roads I could be a little quicker on, but I, I wasn't like watching my position or anything. I wasn't tracking where I was. Like I really wasn't even watching my watch that much. I would maybe look at my watch. I had it set for laps every 10 miles. So every 10 miles, I would just see how long it took me to go that 10 miles and be like, okay, that's good. Or like, 
you know, maybe that, that one was slow, but maybe I was stopping at an aid station. But yeah, like I didn't, I'd say make up time really just because I felt like that first section just took me so long that if I can maybe just drop my average down a little bit, that would, that would be good. Yeah. Okay. So the second half of the second day in the afternoon is when it sounds like things got a little bit ugly. You, you say that this is when you started hallucinating. You ended up in bushes and cacti, like bushwhacking yourself out. Oh, yeah. I mean, what was day. happening this afternoon? You know, the hallucinations. How are you feeling at this point? Yeah, so I think this is like mile. It's probably, I think it's right around mile 100 going into... There's like mountain, Mingus Mountain, that's a big mountain in Arizona. And, you know, there was a really nice aid station at like the mile 100 mark that like this company satisfy running. They like sponsored it. They had all this nice stuff. They had like Norma Tech boots. They had nice couches to sit on. So everyone's like really pumped to go on this aid station. Like I get to this aid station. It's like the windiest thing I've ever been. Like Arizona is like super windy. So it was starting to get nighttime, very windy. Like I was just uncomfortable. I didn't want to be there for that long. Like I'd heard a lot of good things about how like nice this aid station was, but it was just so windy that I was just like disappointed. Like it wasn't because of them. It was just like, okay, let me just, I had a couple tacos and like I headed out. And you go, you go like six miles or whatever on this, like these like cow pastures, which is just like acres and acres of open field with like divots from like cow tracks. And so we're following this for like, seems like forever. And then I don't really know what happened. Like we're hopping over these like barbar fences and I'm trying to follow this, this, my phone. And I must've made a wrong turn. I didn't even really realize it was a wrong turn. Cause I swore I saw like a marker. And my phone was in airplane mode, but I, it's funny because, like, when I got to the aid station, I checked it, and the race texted me. And they're like, hey, Chad, just I see you're, like, off course. Just want to make sure that you're, like, going the right way. We see you're in, like, the washout section. So I clearly was off course, and they had texted me, which is good on them. Like, they're because you have, like, a GPS tracker, and so they're following you and just trying to make sure the runners are, like, on course. But, yeah, I was, like, I don't know how long I was in there, but I quickly realized I was off course. I obviously checked my phone and I was like, all right, I got to get back on course now. So I'm like bushwhacking through these like thorny bushes. With like, your with like your running sticks? With my sticks and a lot. And then you just started getting nervous and like panicking. And so you just start using your hands and you just don't even know where you're going. Like I'm like, I almost go off this cliff. I'm like, where am I? Then I finally, I like, I'm like hopping these fences. And these aren't fences that are like meant to be hopped. Like, cause it, the fences that we were hopping, they had nice ladders. We would like climb over them, but I'm like trying to find ways to like hop these barbed wire fences. And like, I'm like, what am I doing? And, but like, I eventually found my way back on the trail and I was talking to some other runners like, yeah, we got totally lost too. So I think it was well marked, but a lot of people sound like we're having trouble in that section. I I guess I was just had a little more trouble, but eventually I found my way back and, you know, climbed up the mountain. I mean, that was a, this was a pretty tough climb. It was the middle of the night steep you know pretty technical not like the most technical of the climbs but you know it's past the 100 mile mark so you're like okay like you pass the 100 mile mark it's a small constellation like only 150 miles to go and i knew that this aid station also had some sleep stations and again i was just getting super tired 
But, you know, I get there and I was like, okay, can I take a sleep? They're like, oh, yeah, write your name on the whiteboard to tell and write your bib number. I was like, I just didn't even want to deal with that. It was like probably such a low hurdle. I was just, once they said walk over <laughs> Any there. Any barrier at all. And they said get up, walk over and write your name. I was like, no interest. So I just, I slept right there. They were playing this loud music though. And it just was like, I still fell asleep, but I was asleep for like maybe 45, 30, 45 minutes. But they had a lot what, of you good use food. your backpack as a pillow? Was that the trail? I don't even think I did. I just laid down on the hardwood. Like I had like a sweater and I put the hood on. I just kind of laid back with my feet up on the chair. And I mean, I was out. I mean, I had like a plate of lasagna. I had like some good food. So I was probably there all in all, maybe for an hour at the aid station, you know, 30 minutes, just getting situated, eating, you know, changing my socks, cleaning my feet off, putting some like, some like lube on my feet putting my socks back on and just kind of laying there. And even if you're not sleeping, just like laying down, just not doing anything. Like it's pretty regenerative, like closing your eyes and just like laying there. So I did feel a lot better. I woke up. Um, yeah. And I headed out. I mean, that's where I linked up with Andy. This was probably my highlight of your race. Just to jump ahead. I woke up the next day and I, I look at the tracker and I see the year like right next to him. So I text him like, Hey, you're, 0.1 miles behind Andy Glaze. Like, you got to try and find him. Neck and neck. And you're like, so stale. We've been together all <laughs> night. So who is Andy? What's he like in person? How cool is it to run with him? Yeah, I mean, we were just like leaving the aid station at the same time. This is kind of what I was talking about before. I was like linking up with people. Like, especially in the night, if you're like, you see another person leaving, they just like, it's good to just leave with two people. You just keep each other company, keep each other alert. So yeah, he just was heading out and... I obviously knew Andy, like everyone there knew him. He's done a ton of ultras. I mean, he's the, he's a guy who's running like hundred mile weeks for like forever. I think he's hit his like 160th week straight of a hundred mile weeks, which is, I mean, it's obscene. I mean, it's definitely a world record. Like, I don't know if there's any way to confirm that, but it's definitely a record. I mean, it's almost, he's going on four years straight. No missed no missed weeks of hundred mile weeks, which is crazy. Um, like for me, I've probably done like four hundred mile weeks in training ever. So, but he's a great. And, and one of them gave you the herniated disc. Yeah, and one of them herniated disc. <laughs> one of them was like a long training run. Like, so it's not like a normal course for me to be running hundred mile weeks. But for him, like, I mean, he's a kind of. And he had just before this had ran a hundred mile ultra, like in California like two days before this race started. Mm -hmm. um, so he's just like a beast, a firefighter, just like great guy. Um, so yeah, we were just talking and we were talking about all this stuff. He, this, that was his third time doing the race. Also it was great to just be with someone who like knew the race well. So he was telling me about the section that was coming up, how it was his least favorite of the course. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> least favorite. At least I'm doing it with someone who's done it before. He described the section you were on in uh, a video that he filmed of you guys. He said, yeah, we've got 17 miles down on a very technical trail where if we fall, we die. So this is coming down the mountain you just climbed. <laughs> exactly. You're coming down. Good to be with someone during that section, it's I imagine. So, yeah, it's, it's middle of the night. Like, and you think, like, you, you see the course profile beforehand. You're like, oh, yeah, nice. Like, downhill. Super easy. It's like, no. Like, it's a brutal downhill. You're just, like, killing your legs. Like, it's super rocky, super steep. 
And yeah, I mean, we didn't see anyone for that entire section, which was like six, seven hours, maybe. I don't even know, five, six hours. We didn't see any other person, no other headlamps. So maybe people were sleeping, which is probably what we, we should we should have been doing, which is what we thought. Because um, the race, I mean, it's long, but it's kind of rare not to see anyone for that long. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we pushed through it. I mean, it was rough section, like he was sleepwalking. I was hallucinating, talking to plants. We had to stop and like take a nap for five minutes. Like, so we just stopped right in the middle of the trail, just like laid down. I set a timer. Then I woke up in five minutes. I was like, I'm doing another five minutes. He's like, all right. And we did another five minutes. <laughs> no protest. Yeah. So like, then we got up and it's like, you know, sun started coming out as we were like approaching like this town Jerome which was the next aid station it's like a very like secretive town they were like told us all this stuff like you can't take pictures like all this stuff it's like cut into the side of a mountain I think it's like an old mining town so it was cool just like seeing that and you know being in that area so Uh, but you're you're with this guy who's a legend. Oh yeah. I, I mean, mean are you, do you have the legend. energy to to fangirl a little bit? Are you or are you playing it cool? I, mean, I was like, playing it cool. I was I was playing it cool. I mean, everyone knows the guy. I mean, the guy has like five hundred thousand followers on TikTok, and all he does is run. Like it's he's definitely the most well known ultra runner. Yeah. Like, and he's just a regular guy. Like he's not like an elite pro who's like. You know, he's not out to like win these races. I mean, he's won some races, but he's not like. So he's definitely more like approachable, relatable. And is he is he humble like that? Like he wants yeah. to talk to people. He wants. To- yeah, he's she's chatting it up the whole time. I was like, sometimes wow. it's like, he's whenever I was around him, he's chatting. He's, he's a big chatty guy, and he, I mean, he's super. Like, doesn't have any kind of like, you know, I'm this big, you know, social media guy like. So yeah, super just like normal dude, and you know he's got a family and everything, and he just makes time for it. He's not giving a bunch of excuses. He's not here to kind of like shine the spotlight on him. He just kind of does what he does, and he told me to get a sauna. I got a and I got a sauna. Like we were, <laughs> we were talking about everything. He, he talked about his sauna for like thirty minutes, and I was like pretty good sell i mean if it's good enough for him yeah and so he's done it 150 weeks in a row exactly and he was like talking about oh yeah that sauna was great for my heat preparation blah 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 and he yeah i mean he's he, he's a great dude so we ended up running a, a decent amount of the rest of the race you know here and there together and yeah it was that was a, that was a tough section but we, we knocked it out and so at this point now it's the start of um the third day you're at the halfway point, and so yeah, that was huge. There's different distances, and and the 125 mile race people start. Yeah, what's it like having more people out there? Is it refreshing to have more energy? Is it annoying? Are these like oh, get these people out of here? They're too soft to run the 250. Like what? <laughs> or, or is it taking up too too much space in the trail? What's yeah. that like? I mean, there's definitely some like controversy leading up to the race because they had a hundred. Had a 125 mile and they had like a, I think it was a 35 mile. I can't remember. And people were like, oh, like, I don't want them using our finish line. Like, I don't want them like poking and prodding me if I'm taking a nap, asking me if I'm okay. Like, I don't want all these people zooming past me when I'm like in the home stretch and like I'm having to move over to the side of the trail. 
I mean, it's fair point. Like, I didn't really. It wasn't really an issue. I mean, it's it's kind of nice seeing some having more people around. You know, as it got towards the end, it was kind of like you felt like you were just being passed a lot. Well, not towards the end, but like you felt like you were being passed a lot, and so you were like sometimes having to move over to the side a lot because just like people were fresher and they're just zooming by. But that that was because the trails are like single track. Like- yeah, a lot of them are single tracks so are like you know they're like on your left, but it was like. No one's being like rude or mean. It's just like people at different stages. But I think it was fun. I mean, you might as well have other distances. I mean, it's all the same course. And like not everyone out here trying to do a 250-mile race. And, you know, a 125-mile race, like it's probably like I would say like three or four times easier. I mean, it's only – it's half the distance, but – And you take out that first section. Yeah, I mean that too. But Yeah, I mean that, that too. Yeah. But it's not just like it's twice as like two fifty is just like twice as hard as one twenty five. Like it's more than that. Like it, it's not ten times, but like it's not two times. I, mean, I would say it's maybe like four or five times more yeah. difficult. So there's like that aspect where it's just like you know people are just going through such completely different experiences. But you know it was nice. It was nice having some other runners. Yeah. So during this day the hallucinations pick up even more you've had under an hour of sleep over 60 hours and you write i would see numerous oases off in the distance that look so refreshing oh yeah only to find out they were just piles of shiny rocks and this happened a number of times my question for you as someone who's never hallucinated what's the difference between a hallucination and reality like how can you tell I mean, I feel like if that happened to me once, I would start to question everything, every person I'm seeing. You know, you've, yeah. you've hallucinated in a number of races at this point. Like, Yeah, you, at this point, you know, you, you definitely see it coming. I don't know if I saw it coming, you know, in the day. I mean, you definitely, in the night is a thing. In the day, it's just like a completely different animal. I mean, this was like a, like a desert sex, like... Arizona itself was a desert, but this was like when you think of what a desert is. Like that image of the, this is a the, desert. the like, lone cactus in the distance. Yeah, lone cactus in the distance, tumbleweeds going across, endless, endless dirt and, and like burning heat, no trees in sight. Like it's not just like your definition of a desert. Like LA is a desert. Like it wasn't like that. Like you can be in downtown LA, they call it a desert. Like this is like remote desert. So it was just brutal. Are you like, running on sand? Yeah, it's like it wasn't like sand, but it was like some section was like loose dirt. Yeah. And so it was just so hot. And you know, I left the aid station. I think I had enough water, but it's just like you're in your head about like running out of water and then you just start like seeing stuff. I was like cuz I would carry this like filtration bottle where you could just you know, fill it in like any body of water and you just put the cap on it has like a filtration. So whenever you see water, I would just do it because it was nice. The water was cold. So I was like, oh, I really want to like come across one of these things. And I would just see these like lakes and it was just like these like shiny rocks. And like it would happen so many times and it's, it's just like so clear. And then it's just like, it's just not it. How close do you have to get before you realize it's not? You got to get pretty close. You got to get a hundred feet. You got to get pretty close. Cause, cause that's the thing. Like you try to blink, you try to look away, look back. And it stays, it stays, it's, it's it's real enough. You got to just get there or you got to have like some other distraction. Like if you're, if I'm running with other runners, typically it's not a huge thing. 
like most of these for me happen. It's just like you're just out there alone. You got nothing, no other distractions. And it's just like. But what about like the prior night when you're talking to plants? Yeah, that that <laughs> night, I don't know. I was I know that I was leading like I was in front and he was behind. This was either right before or right after we had like taken a sleep. And there wasn't much talking going on. Like we were talking a little bit. You know, we talked a lot during it, but there were sections where there was just like it'd go 30, 45 minutes. We weren't really saying much. Mm-hmm. So your mind starts wandering. You kind of forget what's going on and you just like start losing it. Like, I don't really remember too much of that. I mean, Andy was telling me some about it. Um, like plant petting and like talking to plants. And it's like, yeah, you don't even. Have you watched the videos that he posted with you? I guys? watched the videos. There's like no life in your eyes. Yeah, I was, I, was doing, I was like swerving and walking. I was like, you know, about to fall off the side of that cliff. Like, it, you met up with Andy again on the third day um, in the afternoon. Yeah. And so now it's hotter again. It's gr- it's more than 90 degrees. Andy goes, Chad hates climbing. So oh, you must have yeah. been complaining. Oh, I mean, I was probably complaining more than any. Like, I hate climbing. I mean, I hate it. I'm not very good at it. I'm not like the worst in the world at it. I'm just, I'm not good. I think it's by virtue it. of living here in New York. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm just not good at it. I don't, I don't seek it out. Some people like love it, I guess. Like some people love to climb. They, they love races with climbing or go out of their way to like run over a hill. Not me. So it's like, these climbs just get so frustrating. You're moving so slowly. They're so technical. They're steep. It's hot. And yeah, I'm just not a strong climber. So it's just like, yeah. it's just like, oh, come on. Let's get to the downhill or something. But the downhill, you the said, is already like, tough. Too. The downhill's pretty brutal. <laughs> but they had some, I mean, some of the road stuff, because there were some decent climbs that were on like sidewalk and stuff, which was I was okay with some of the sections. Like, I think it was some some stuff in Sedona. There was like a decent climb, but it was like, basically sidewalk for mm-hmm. a lot of it, which is kind of annoying. It was still climbing, but it was sidewalk. You kind of settle in, set a good pace. Yeah. So you get into Sedona and you finally take some meaningful amount of sleep. You said you sleep for 90 minutes or so on a cot. So you're not just on the trail. Yeah. And when you wake up, you said, my vision was so blurry. I thought I'd gone blind. You had no idea where you were. So my my question here is, you know, when you're three days into no sleep, like why is sleep so powerful? Like at that at that state, I mean, is that something you'd experienced before? Just how it just changes everything about you, even just ninety minutes. Yeah, I mean, that sleep was that was a great sleep. That's probably one of probably the best sleep I had. Uh, and I woke up. I was my vision was blurred because I I mean I didn't really appreciate. I mean, I had my contacts in like this was this whole race. So, like, I slept with them, and I woke up, and it was just, like, I guess I didn't appreciate it was my contacts. I was, like, super, like, loopy. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously what it was, and they were just, like, super blurry, like, for anyone who's, like, slept in their contacts. But, I mean, that sleep was great. I mean, sometimes you get in those sleep rooms, and there's people just snoring and howling and just, like, making all these noises. So, it's tough to get to sleep. I mean, that room was pretty quiet for there being, like, I don't know however many runners were in there sleeping. Um, and it was a great aid station. I mean, the food was great. The volunteers were super helpful. They like helped me refill all my water and stuff. And it was a drop bag spot. So I had a drop bag there. So it was just, it was just good to get there. It was a rough stretch to get there. And so you, when you get there and you know, you're going to, you have a spot to sleep, 
and it ends up being a good quality spot. It's just super rejuvenating. I mean, it's never enough. Like you're you're never gonna have enough sleep unless you're just like I don't know. Do the guy with a ten hour sleep? <laughs> that guy was a beast. Like it might have even been longer than ten. Like, cause I mean, this race was interesting because you could leave the course and go to like a hotel. Like, really, you could do it. I mean. I don't know many people who did, but that guy did. Like, he was there solo, but this he like checking himself into a Marriott. He got a hotel. <laughs> he he got a hotel. I think he might have been there for twelve. He might have even been there for twelve hours. I'm not even kidding. And he was a strong runner. Like, you could tell, but he was just out there alone. Like he wasn't out there to win. He was out there to have a quality race. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't out there to like beat himself into the dirt. Like some people are out there. Like there's pros who are out there to like beat themselves in the dirt and win. And have, you know, maybe they say they had a good time, but probably have a miserable time. Like listening to a lot of the recaps of the pros, like the top finishers, men and women, they're absolutely having a brutal time out there. Like the winner of the race had an absolutely brutal race. Is there prize money for them? No prize money. No prize money. Not for not for this race. I think maybe some of the hundred milers, some big hundred milers, might have some prize money. Um, but yeah, there's a and then like a lot of the middle of the pack people like. They vary. Some are pushing super hard, but some are out there just like trying to have a quality race, which means not finishing the race, just absolutely just destroyed. Yeah. And like trying to appreciate some of the other things. So yeah, that's what he did. But yeah, for me that, that was, getting 90 minutes of that spot was, was huge. You know, you're training 70, 80 mile weeks, a couple hundred mile weeks, trying to get some elevation in, trying to do some longer runs. But it strikes me that when you're climbing up mountains, when you're in the heat, when you're awake for three, four days, I mean, your average speed on the, anytime the tracker was always like 2.4 miles an hour. Slow. Is there any, does your training really translate into this? How do you prepare I mean, it does. to be I mean, on your third day in 90 degree heat? I mean, it, it can, if you, if you have appropriate training, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it is like, like a lot of it is training for the conditions of the race and just training for like certain scenarios, like must like fatigue, like general fatigue. So like doing big, like back to back long runs, like you can't ever, you're never going to run the distance. Like, for 250, like, I did, like, a 100-mile training run, which was nice. It took me, like, a little under 24 hours. Like, I tried to, you know, it was tough just, like, given it was, like, solo. Like, it was raining. It was kind of other things, like, conditions-wise that were just uncomfortable. But other than stuff like that, like, you, you can't really prepare for the distance. A lot of it is experience. I mean, general fitness, obviously, like, people who just run a lot of and do a lot of climbing and do a lot of mileage weekly. It helps, but yeah, you know, you can't it really, really does translate. Yeah. I mean, you can't really prepare for like mile 200 or 250 unless you've really been there and can appreciate like maybe what you need to work on specifically. Like if you need to do more training runs, like in the middle of the night on like little sleep, some people do that. Like some people get out, got out to Arizona, like, and did these like training camps where they'll run different sections of the course, like over the span of like a week or so. They'll mm-hmm. like take one day and run the first 30 miles, 
we'll take another day and do a night section of this course. I mean, that's what like a lot of like, you know, elite people will do. They'll just like do recon on the course. Cause these are public trails. These aren't like, this isn't like a roped off course. Like there's other people who aren't in the race, just like running people who live in Arizona, just like running on the trails, training. So yeah, I mean, you can get out there and do like recon and stuff. That's what people like to do. But yeah, I mean, it's tough to just like duplicate it. Exactly. So the third night was certainly the low point before we talk about what happened in the river. One thing we haven't touched on is the temperature swings. We know it was super hot, 90 degrees during the day. You've mentioned needing sweaters and gloves at night, but how cold was it getting at night? I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize the desert does that. I just thought in Arizona, if it's 90 degrees during the day, it's 70 at night, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, 60 degree swings. I mean, it's, mid nineties in the day and it could get in the thirties easily. Wow. Especially the top of some of these mountains. You're at like what? 8,000 feet, 7,000 feet. Like it's cold. Like it's not like it's, you know, cause the race started like around the Phoenix area and Phoenix is hot. Like it was probably the high nineties, but it ended in Flagstaff, which is like much higher. Thinks around sits around 5,000 feet. In the middle of the day, it was cold. Like, it was maybe 50, 60 degrees. So, just that element. So, yeah, 60-degree swings, 50-degree swings, which is tough because, like, you can't just, especially for runners who are solo, like, you got to carry all this cold stuff, like, just with you at all times just because it can't be a scenario where you're just out there in your T-shirt and shorts. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's all of a sudden the temperature dropping. You got no gloves. You have no jacket. You have no beanie. So a lot of the times I got like two jackets just like tied around my waist. I've got all this warm stuff in my bag. So yeah, you just kind of got to prepare for those huge swings. It seems like it's almost amplified because I feel like if it were, let's say it's 35 degrees in, you know, February in New York and you're going out for a long run on a Saturday morning. You're probably not in gloves for much of that run, and you're certainly not in many layers. Like 35 degrees, you know, you warm up after a while. Is it because you're already sweating, you're already exhausted, and you're going so slow that you really need to bundle up in the race itself? Yeah, I mean, in the 30s, probably even in New York, I think in the 30s I would probably be wearing gloves. But, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it definitely has to do with just like your – your body's just generally just, it's not regulating appropriately. I mean, the sleep deprivation, like oh. you're in an extreme, just like cal- like calorie deficit. You just like don't have a lot of energy to just heat up, I, I, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, you're definitely like moving slow. I mean, but that doesn't really have much of an impact because you don't have to be like doing like seven minute miles to be heating up. Like you could heat up pretty quickly just from moving. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just like, I think it's like the fatigue just like just so uncomfortable just generally that just like any other like external factors just are just magnified so what's like 40 degrees which is fine to run in like i I could run it in with just like a little jacket and maybe a beanie in new york it's there i'm like bundled up i got two jackets on two layers of gloves i got hand warmers in and you're just trying to be as uncomfortable like as, as comfortable as possible I said, at the end of the day, I said, you're just trying to be comfortable. You're not really, you know, 
you're still probably going to be a little cold, but you're just trying to, you know, keep your hands warm. That was what I was just most focused with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then keeping like your ears warm. But yeah, it's, it's so exacerbated in that environment. It's in the twenties or thirties. You're trying to stay warm. It's after 10 o'clock at night. It's dark. It's only going to get darker and colder. You come across Oak Creek. What happened at this water crossing? They told us, I mean, there was, there was a couple of water crossings across this course. You know, they told us them. They sent us a lot of, like, data of, like, because I think we had to reroute the course because one of them was unpassable because it was too high. We knew that there was, like, water crossing. Like, this wasn't like, oh, wow, like, I, I had no idea that we're going to be crossing a river here. I mean, you get there, I mean, like, it's, it's the middle of the night, and then you come across this just raging river. Maybe it wasn't... Maybe it wasn't raging that fast. By the time I got there, it looked like this thing was flying. And then they had like a, they had a rope stretched across that you would like hold on to. It had like hand loops. Like you would hold on to it and just kind of like use it to stay, you know, to stop yourself from falling in. And so I see a couple, they got photographers there taking photos. They got a great shot of you as you were. Yeah, they got, I mean, they got some there. great shots. I mean, those, those guys are pros. Those guys and girls are pros. But I get in, I'm, like, I'm, I'm following this couple, this married couple who was in front of me, husband and wife doing the race. I mean, that's pretty sick. And I take a stab. I'm grabbing on this rope, and I just completely fall in. Like, I... I was, I, maybe I just didn't even, like, appreciate how, like, the rocks were kind of slippery underneath. Like, and this this water is maybe knee-high, maybe a knee little high, higher. Knee-high, you're, you're in your running shoes that you've been wearing for the, past, for the past three days. Yeah, I mean, I knew, I knew the feet were going to get soaked, which is fine. Like, there was already, like, one other, two other water crossings before that. And I, like, slip and fall, like, I'm... I'm like completely underwater. My head's not underwater, but like I'm like sitting in the water. So like my lower body's completely soaked all the way up to like my mid torso. Wow. Just soaked. And I'm in a t-shirt because I was like, I was moving. I was getting hot because again, I had like two gloves on. I had hand warmers in my gloves and I had like a beanie and a jacket on. So I like took the jacket off, had it around my waist. So that's ruined. That's completely soaked. The jacket around my waist. It was great. Um, and it wasn't like a rain jacket. It was just a hoodie. It was cotton hoodie. Would it have been better if it were in your pack? Or? It would have been better. I mean, it still would have gotten wet, but yeah, it would it would have been at least maybe a little more salvageable. Because my entire pack, I mean, it, entire pack probably got wet, but there's probably sections of it like on the top part, closer to my neck, that were probably a little drier. But yeah, I mean, I got up, I got up, and I was like, I was like, oh man, you got to be kidding me, because like, this is a climb to. This plateau, this Coconina Plateau, which everyone's like, oh, windiest part of the course. Like, super cold, super windy. Because like, before this, I watched a lot of, like, YouTube videos from, like, the 2021 race. And they talk a lot about it. They talk a lot about how windy this section was, blah, blah, blah. So this is, like, the middle of the night. This has got to be, I don't know, midnight, maybe a little later. Super cold. Like, I wasn't feeling cold going into it, but, like... I wasn't climbing up the mountain. So we're going to climb up this mountain to get to like. So you get out of the water and you're just like, all right, got to keep going. I get out of the water. I'm like, I'm cold. But it's like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to stop right there. So I just sort of push. And then it's just, it just gets too cold. Like, I'm just absolutely freezing. I've never been this cold. 
I've been cold. Like I've done some cold runs before, like that hundred mile run that I did training in New York. It was pretty cold, but you kind of, you kind of always feel like you got to out in those kind of runs. Like your training run, there's like civilization. Like you could like hop in a seven 11 or something if you needed to. So you kind of always maybe like hype it up a little bit on those runs. But in this one, I was like, I was cold. So then I, the emergency blanket, which is why, I mean, the reason why they have, like everyone always kind of gets upset sometimes at like all the emergency gear and the mandatory gear. But the emergency blanket, I had it, obviously, because it was mandatory gear. So luckily, I just like took that out. I never even opened it before because it's super tough to get back in the container. So I'd had one for maybe two years and never even opened it. Wow. So I opened it up. And it's kind of like a sleeping bag. So, like, you can put your feet in it and, like, the bottom doesn't open. And then you lay in it. But, like, I was freezing. So, I put it in an upside down. So, I put my head where the feet go. And I'm just, like, in it like a cocoon. And then my feet are kind of, like, hanging out. I didn't want any wind on my head. Like, my head was, like, freezing. How much time has passed since you get out of the river at this point? Like, an hour? A couple hours? Probably under an hour. Like I probably didn't even make so it that still, long. So you're still fully soaked. I'm fully soaked. Yeah, I'm fully this, soaked. This bivy works well when your body heat is like getting and, and, and keeping you warm. It works. It it worked amazing. Like, and I mean, it's not a fancy blanket. Like this thing is like tin foil. It's probably layered with some like fancy scientific kind of lining. But it was great because you start breathing and this starts like heating up. Like you're basically just like in a little mini like oven and it's it's great i mean but i was getting in there and i was like hyperventilating i was like because i'm like all right what am i gonna do like i my first thought was like maybe i can just like sleep until the sun comes up because like before like there's there's people who cross that water in the day and they're like intentionally soaking themselves so like probably the best relief you could get six hours earlier or later and it would have been a great it'd be like 90 degrees you're like oh yes you're like completely getting soaked so i'm like okay it's gonna i gotta make it to the heats up maybe like but i mean i don't know i'm just there i'm like do i text the race number because they gave us their their phone number to text for like emergencies do i like try to get out meanwhile all these runners are just like passing me and like typically you don't i mean i don't blame them because like you don't want to just like stop people who are like laid on the side because a lot of times they're just resting a lot of times they're sleeping oftentimes there's people who just sleep on the side of the trail and so like you don't want to just like go up to everyone who stops, shine your light on them and be like, are you okay? Cause then they're like, dude, I'm sleeping. Just give me a second. Um, so like a lot of people passed didn't say anything. Um, then these couple, these two guys come up. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know there were two guys. I just saw some headlamps. I'm like, All right, I got to ask for help. Like, I'm, I don't even know how long it's been. I've been in this blanket, maybe 30 minutes, maybe more, maybe less. And they hear me they're like, Oh, what's, what's going on? I was like, dude, I need some help. I wasn't teeth chattering. I'm like, fell in the river. I'm like, do you have a jacket or something? Do you have some gloves? Cause again, my gloves were soaked and this guy, he like had a jacket. I mean, that's another thing you're supposed to carry for the night section is like extra jackets and stuff. So mm-hmm. he had like a super nice Patagonia jacket, gave it to me, like helped me get out of my like cold clothes. We just like dumped my wet jacket and some of my other wet clothes he gave me his gloves to use. He like helped me like I like poked a hole in this blanket, so I was like sticking my head through the 
where the feet were going to go. Yeah, so it was like a cape I was wearing, and I put the jacket over that. He, like, helped me figure that out with my pack. Wow. I mean, the guy was an absolute legend. Like, that's, again, again, goes to show, like, you know, people out there to compete, but they're not out there to just, like, go crazy. Like, if someone needs help, like, people help out. I mean, it's like in a road marathon, like, I remember I did the New York Marathon. Some guy was, like, dying in Central Park on the turn. People were just flying by him. Like no one, like no one's interested in stopping like in America. Every man for himself. They're like I did my, I didn't come this far. I was doing my five by one k's workouts and like all my fart licks and tempos and it's like, it's such like such more of like a robotic affair, the marathon and like road running in general. It's like, but for trail running, it's much more of like much more of a human component. And those guys, I mean. I mean, maybe I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have died out there. Like, probably would have figured something out, but it wouldn't have been pretty. Do you think it, you were having hypothermia? Like, did you feel anything in your limbs or your muscles? I mean, I was point? shaking so hard. Like, I was just like shaking so much. And I got out, and he's like, "Well, it's good. It's good that you're shaking. I mean, it means you're warming up or something." He said something about like try to spin into a positive. It was like, I mean, the guy's a great dude. So, in that moment before you called the guys. You said you tried to get your phone out to text the emergency number, but your hands were worthless. Try to get it out. I don't even know where, if I even knew where it was. I think it was in my pack zipper, my or like my front. Pack what do you think component. you would have told them? I would just text them. I was like, "Look, yeah, I don't even know what I would have said." That's another thing. SOS. Like I don't know. Like they know where you are. So like, if I, I it wouldn't have took much to kind of like get them there, help maybe or something like that. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I would have tried to call them. I don't know. But I thought I was like, oh, maybe I should text someone. So I like did a cursory check. I like checked like the side pocket of like these sweats I was running in. Like it wasn't there. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to. At this point, do you think about quitting at all? Are you like, this is crazy? Are you, are you praying? Are you crying? I mean, I definitely, it wasn't even about quitting. It was about like, am I, I'm not trying to kill myself. Like, so I was like all right, maybe I have to do what I need to do. But once those guys came, like, and the guy, the guy was great. His name, his name is Matt. He was like, he like immediately texted like the medical people, like the, cause we were coming into an aid station where there was medical. So he like texted the number. He's like, Oh, bib, I was 25, like bib number 25. He's in pretty rough shape coming in. So the med people actually came and met us on our way to the aid station and at that point, I was like, I don't want to talk to these guys. They're going to pull me from the race. So I was like... You knew you were good at that point. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely rough. I was definitely in rough shape. But I didn't want to drop out. And I didn't want to... I don't want these medical people... Because these medical, these medical people, they're good. Like, they're not there to, like... They're not, like, employees of, like, the race. Right? They're not there to kind of just, like, put on a show. They'll pull you from the race. They don't even care. Like, if you're not good to go, they'll just pull you. So I was trying to put on a good face and just like answer all their questions and just try to like make it seem like I'm good. Um, And so, yeah, we made it to the aid station and, you know, medical people were there. They're like asking me if I needed help. They're asking me these questions like, what's your name? How old are you? Blah, blah, blah. And. You know, those other two guys that I was with, they kind of took off. The guy, the guy I asked for his jacket back. I was kind of like shocked he wanted it back. I mean, it's it absolutely reeked like it stank for sure. 
But I gave him his jacket back. I mean, I wasn't gonna. I didn't need to keep it for the whole race. Um, and then some other just volunteer just had a jacket. I was like, does anyone have a jacket? I was about to leave the aid station with just this blanket that they had. But the guy just gave me his Patagonia, like super nice Patagonia. Wow. Uh, I tried to get it back to him. I can't, can't remember his name. They told me his name, and I just like I've completely forgotten it. Mm-hmm. So you survive. So you're in, you're survive. on your fourth day now. At this point, you're exhausted. It's one, You seem to only sleep during the day. So it's bright <laughs> out. You're like, I got to shut my eyes for 10 minutes. You lay down. Does that give you a boost to keep going? A little or boost. Is it really just a mental thing? No, it definitely helps. Those 10 minutes, those 10 minutes are, you talk to most people who do these kind of races, those 10 minutes are, go a long way. Like, set an alarm. Like, I wake up in eight minutes. I'm like, has it been four hours? Like, I'm like worried wow. that I overslept. It really feels like that long. Oh, yeah. And it's weird that, like, sometimes the best sleep are those on the trail. Because I guess that's, like, your max fatigue if you need to stop and take a sleep. So you're, like, you're out in, like, within 30 seconds, 45 wow. seconds. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, it, it helps. I mean, it's definitely, you know, not as good as, like, a couple hours. But it definitely helps. And you get up. It's tough, it's, it's tough to get up after sitting, after, like, laying on the ground, like, super sore. But it helps helps you push forward a little bit. Um, yeah, and I was feeling as good as I could be at that point in the race. So throughout the rest of Thursday, as you get closer to mile 200, mm-hmm. you talk about having stomach issues and feet issues. Mm-hmm. What was your body feeling? Uh, I mean, my feet, my stomach, I don't even know. I mean, it was just like, I didn't, I didn't yeah, it was just like, you know, you got to do, you got to take care of business. <laughs> you eating a lot of like random stuff. Like I was eating a lot of fruit snacks and I probably had like 30 bags of fruit snacks. Oh I'm, having, I'm eating these gels. I'm eating anything, but I would carry just like real food. Or maybe I'd take something from the aid station with me. But, um, are you going to the bathroom on the side of the trail too? Like we've got to be a little graphic here. Yeah. Yeah. But I only did that. I think I only did that once or twice. You know, you pee here situation. and there. Dive straight. Dive. You just take care of business. <laughs> but yeah, my feet were absolutely wrecked. I mean, everyone was always like laughing at me at the aid station because I have these like gold toe socks. I have these cotton socks. I've never understood how you run in cotton socks. I've run socks. all my ultras with them and I've had no issues. Like I ran Tahoe with them, zero issues. But like it's probably a mix of the wet and like the, know, the terrain. But yeah, my feet were just absolutely torn up probably – they were, they were getting there probably like... But like blisters or the nails or... It was definitely... Plantar it fasciitis. Was blisters. And there were blisters like on the toe, like where the toe bends. Like if you're like were to try to grab something with your foot. Underneath, it was like underneath. under like all those toes. So it was like... It was really tough going downhill because like you're pushing off your toes a lot. Uphill it was like all right. But yeah, this is when it started getting really, really rough, really rough. But what do they do for you in the aid station? I mean, are these are these volunteers just? I didn't have any going at your feet. I only had volunteers look at my feet at like mile two, two something. It was like mile two twenty. But before that, I didn't have any volunteers looking at my looking at my feet. Um, but they would do some people's feet, like they would put tape on them. They would like. 
Yeah, that's mainly what they would do. They would clean them off and put like Luco tape, which is like a very adhesive, like sticky tape. Um, so I only got that done once to like mile 220 or whatever. And they kept saying, oh, like your feet look pretty good. Like I was like, they don't feel good. <laughs> they don't feel good. But yeah, so a lot of people had feet issues. I mean, it's common for like stuff of this distance. It's like the biggest factor a lot of the times in determining your the quality of your race but was it imbalanced i imagine if if your left foot is shot now you start limping now that affects your hips or your back or anything or yeah, both uh, of them just screwed yeah i mean both the fever screw my left maybe the right one of them was definitely worse than the other but they both were just a tatter just just like such rough condition wow but wow. yeah you, know, you get through it i mean it didn't feel like anything like structural. Like my Achilles was kind of like doing some funny stuff. Like so, I I had like an extra sock and I just like tied it around my like left Achilles, which you can kind of see in like my finisher photo. I've like some tied around my ankle. And like mm-hmm. it's, it's this sock, I just like let me just cut this off and I just like tied it around. But yeah, I mean it's a lot of it's a lot of steps to take. So do you have um replacement shoes in your drop bag as well are you changing your shoes out or is this one pair of shoes through the rivers through the dust i had one pair i was only going to do one pair until i fell in the water and then i luckily i had like i only had two other pairs with me and i like kind of spread them out towards like the latter part of the race and one of them was like an i think it was in the next available drop bag spot and then there i switched my shoes but that was the only time i wasn't planning on switching my i started the race in a new pair of shoes which i like i mean i don't think you need a break in shoes anymore i mean it's like 2023 i don't think you really need to break shoes and especially if you're like always running in the same brand style like i haven't really had a need to break in shoes i've, I've run the last three ultras and like pretty much brand new shoes maybe they have like what are you wearing hoka I was Hocus Stinson, Hocus Stinson ATR six. I've run my last couple, or I ran running these Topos, Topo Athletic. Hoka, hit us up. Chad's available for sponsorship. Yeah, you know, while they're sleeping, podcast Ho- also Ho- looking Hoka for Pro. partners. <laughs> Hoka, Hoka sponsor. Many, I mean, what lifetime Hoka purchases? Fifty uh, plus pair. Oh, I mean, he's got to be yeah, well through fifty. I've, I'm sitting on at least eight pairs as we speak, I think. Well, we got to be through 100 probably. Think about that, Hoka. Come on. I don't think I've hit 100 Hokas. But yeah, most of the Hokas I, are, I use aren't even trail shoes. Like, they're just road shoes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's only one pair. So this was interesting, right? It's it's now your fourth night. We're through 200 miles. And it's cold again. According to your watch... It's like in the 20s. And you said this was a long, cold, dark, brutal section. One of the most difficult of the race mentally. Mm -hmm. You incorrectly thought there was a water stop around six miles into this section. And you were emotionally devastated to find out there wasn't. So I want to hear more about the mental challenge here. But just as as a silly question, right? If it's 20 degrees out are you really parched for water that much? Like why did the water, or was the water just like, did that represent the hope for you of relief? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a good question. I I don't know if I was thirsty. No, I definitely was thirsty. Um, I definitely was thirsty, especially like you start heating up because you, you leave the aid station just like, 
I slept for like three hours at this aid station. You get up, you're like, wow, I got to really get back out there. And it's like so cold. So you just, I had on maybe three jackets, gloves with hand warmers, a beanie. And I had like I got my hood on and I like sweats on. I was like so bundled up for like the initial to like counteract the initial just like cold. And then you heat up and then you're like, wow, I'm like pretty warm. So then you like take the gloves off and you're trying to drink because you're still like moving. But um, I definitely had water, but I was like looking forward to this aid station. Like I was just looking forward to kind of breaking up the section, mm. seeing something. And yeah, it just like wasn't there. And I was like, I like ran into some runners and, and I was like, is there water? Is like a water stop up ahead? And they're like, no. <laughs> I was like, what? No way. I thought I like <laughs> missed it or something. I was like checking my map. Um, and yeah, it just wasn't there. So yeah, that was a rough one. I like stopped and like slept a little bit in this section. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess that's the only thing to do. I mean, I got to like get some more energy or something. Cause I thought there was going to be a nice little boost to some cold water. Nope. And I should have known, like I had the map say, like I had each course profile, like on my phone, I would like check it out. Like I should have just looked, I don't know what I was thinking, but at that point I was just like so tired. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to get through it. What were some of the other mental challenges at that point? Again, I was just so tired. I had slept three hours. Didn't even make it through the whole night section. Like, you know, you start seeing some things. You start just you're generally just so tired. My feet were killing me. I had just got them taped a little bit. Like that didn't help at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I had eaten some. I mean, it's never enough. Like. It's just never enough, but I had ate some, so I was feeling, like, decent, but I was still, like, moving, like, so slow, and it was just, like, so uncomfortable, but I knew there was only, you know, after this, there was only one other section, and then we'd get to the finish, mm-hmm. or I guess two, technically, but really only one, and then you go to the finish, and it was, like, I, you just gotta push, I mean, you can't stop now, I mean, it's just... 25 miles, 35 miles left. Yeah. So you get to the last day. There's two sections. The first one is a super steep uphill, and then you're basically downhill into the finish. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about this climb. At one point, you hit snow as you got to a certain point of elevation. You're on your hands and knees. Yeah. I mean, this Mount Eldon, I mean, another like very popular mountain, I guess, in the Flagstaff area. Like a lot of the locals, you know, they just run this as part of their training run. So, like, they're very familiar with it. It's, there's a lot of other people running, just, like, locals who are just high school runners, college runners, just out for a nice Friday jog, and there's, like, a bunch of zombies <laughs> walking around. <laughs> like clinging to life. Yeah, I mean, but, like, they know Coca-Dona. Like, they know about it. So, like, they're, like, super nice. But, yeah, I mean, the climb is super steep. It's, like, I mean, it goes up to 9,000 feet. It's probably, like, 2,000, 2,500 feet over like maybe a mile and a half. So it's like, it's well over a thousand feet a mile, which is like a, a wow. lot. I mean, wow. a lot of sections, like you're just scrambling over rocks. You're on your hands and feet. It's not even really a trail at that point, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a trail at parts, but yeah, a lot of it, you're like climbing over boulders and it's like, 
this is ridiculous. Like, I'm so tired. Like I'm I'm out here like jumping over boulders. Um, but yeah, like eventually, I mean, it's so high again. It's like nine thousand wow. feet. Like there's there's snow. So you come into snow. There was some snow at my last ultra. So it's it's always interesting. It was nice. You get some snow, and I'm I'm burning hot. I'm at the bottom of this thing, it's like it's still hot. It's the middle of the day. You get up there, you get some snow. You like put it in your hat, put it down your shirt, cool you off a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, eventually you get to the top and like, I, I listened to some stuff about how windy it was at the top of Mount Eldon. I mean, it's gotta be the windiest place in the entire country. I mean, this, <laughs> this winds like I'm about to knock me off of the side of the mountain. Like it was like the windiest, the windiest wind I'd ever been in in wow. my entire life. I mean, it was so windy. So it just, it was just freezing at the top. Absolutely freezing. How long did you stay there? Um, at the aid station, I stayed at the aid station 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I had like these, I mean, it's a famous, not famous, it's like a well-known aid station. Like they have these like barbecued meats. It's got like Pete Mortimer. It's called like Pete's Meats. I mean, he, he came in second in the inaugural year, super local runner. Um, but yeah, they cook up like these barbecue meats. So I had like rib, I had like six, five, maybe four or five, six ribs. I had like a sausage super nice volunteers like just kept bringing me like rips i was like this is unbelievable i don't ever want to leave in your mind you're like i'm i'm done now this is it oh man downhill exactly but this is your celebration i mean the seven mile downhill it's like my feet were just killing me i was like running backwards down this mountain my feet were killing me so much like and it's like an active mountain like cars were coming up i'm like swerving off i'm about to like go over the side I'm mean, like going down backwards. I'm like, I can't do forward. Like my feet were just like, have you ever had that before? Oh no. Like, well, I had some, my feet, oh, that's my very first 200 mile race. My feet were absolutely destroyed, but there was no elevation. There was just like swampy mm. and my feet were tatters then. Um, it was pretty close to that. Um, but yeah, my feet were just wrecks, but like, you know, you make it down it's never as close as you think. You're like, oh, it's seven miles. Again, you look at the course profile and you're like, oh, wow, it's like a nice little downhill gradual. It's never like that. I mean, it always is something. You're either hurting. This is the end of the race. There's like these little blimps that are like, oh, that's probably just a little hill. It seems like an absolute mountain. But, I mean, eventually you get down and eventually you get into like Flagstaff and you're on the roads and a guy, you know, they have like a live stream going and a guy follows you in with a camera. Mm-hmm. And like, I see the guy, I'm like, all right, I'm going to jog it in. Like, come <laughs> on, I'm, of course I'm going to jog it in. And the guy was like, I, I thought he met me like, it seemed like four miles out. I'm like, couldn't you met me a quarter mile out from the finish? And he's, so I'm here jogging and he's got the camera on me. I'm like, I guess I got to keep up this jog. Cause like, I felt like I was sprinting. I was probably doing like a 14 minute mile or something but yeah i mean you get to the finish i mean it's just like i mean there's nothing like it i mean the thing with ultras it's like there's just like so few times where you can just be like so just like proud of your accomplishments i mean in just your day-to-day life i mean maybe you have like a you know you do a good job at work like a good presentation and you worked hard on like a project or something and you're like proud of yourself, but finishing these authors is like another level. Which is one thing I like about it. It's just like, you're just like 
Mm-hmm. So proud of accomplished it. I mean, it's super emotional. It's like, it's, I mean, that was the hardest thing I'd ever done. So it's like, wow, you actually can do it. So it kind of sets another like benchmark for your like abilities. So it's just like a lot of just like, you know, it's just like a big moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just like unbelievable to finish. And like Andy was there and another guy I met, uh, Kevin was there and it was just like, so nice to be done. They take your photo. I looked like I was half dead at the end. The <laughs> dichotomy of the photos is fantastic. Every time I love that you like, made your Strava photo, <laughs> the course. finisher photo. Of course. I mean, it's, but yeah, I mean, the finish was great. You talk to the medical people. They like ask if you're good. I like heat it up. And then I went and got some like raising canes. I mean, I was fixated oh, on that. That's fantastic. That's what I had after my 70.3. It went right to canes. I was fixated on that for at least the last 100 miles. <laughs> at least. Immediately went there and got half the menu. I went back to my hotel, took a shower. Next thing I remember, I'm waking up. I got, <laughs> I'm I take I sit on you my bed. The chicken at all? I ate the chicken first, and okay. I take a shower. Sit on my bed in my towel. I'm out. I wake up. <laughs> I don't even know what happened. I, and it's not like I woke up like two hours later, confused. I woke up like nine hours later. I was unconscious. You got the week's worth of sleep in oh. that in that moment. I was like, "Oh, let me take my contacts out. Let me wash my face. None of that. No, no time for that. I just knocked out. That was unbelievable. Wow. I mean, congratulations on such an incredible, incredible week. I felt so silly just going about like my day to day business. You know, checking in on the tracker. Like, oh wow, like Chad made it through another night, and now he's you know this many miles in, and I'm like going out to dinner on, on Thursday, yeah. it really puts things in perspective, you know, as a, as a spectator, I can't even imagine how you feel having done it. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, I feel the same way too. I mean, there's a big backyard ultra going on right now. I know like a couple people doing it where you just run until there's one person left. And I'm like, I'm like checking my phone. I'm like, wow, they're on like mile 175. They're running right now. I'm just sitting here. Yeah. That's like, how I felt. Yeah. I was like, wow. Like, that's crazy. Like, I can't even imagine that, but it's like, okay, well, like maybe I can, but it's, it's still like the same thing where it's like, there's always somebody somewhere out there who's just like killing it. Like they're just like killing themselves, like doing these like super hard stuff. And you're just like, you know, it's different for everyone, but yeah, it was. Yeah. So we're three weeks out now. You just capped off a 70 mile week running. Last week was a 40 mile running week. So I take it your your recovery must have been pretty good. Your back must not have been an issue in the yeah. race or afterwards. Like, how are you feeling now? Feeling good now. I mean, first week after was rough. Like, I was like, my feet were super swollen, and they stayed swollen for like a week, which was like, I wasn't like super worried, but I was like, oh wow, like I expected maybe a couple of days. No, because I I stayed off them for the first couple of days, but then I went on the plane, and that just like completely ballooned them and i get back and i try to put them in some epsom salt so it took another like three four days and they kind of settled down and then i tried to run so i started with some slower stuff shorter stuff just to like make it see like can do my legs work still and the fatigue is just still like pretty significant even still like my heart rate still isn't back to where it was like my re- even like my resting heart rate still isn't back to where it was. So I'm still like I'm not fully back, I would say, but definitely, you know, maybe like 90%. Yeah. 85-90%. So yeah, definitely going going pretty good. What's next on the calendar? 
yeah, so Bigfoot coming up in August. Bigfoot 200. Which is another 200 mile race. They say it's like. Where's that one? That's in Washington State. It's like Mount St. Helens region. Like another point to point. Like super. I've been watching some videos. Just like super beautiful area. Which is one of the nice things about doing these races. It's like I would never, ever be in Mount St. Helens. Like I, I have mm-hmm. no reason to be there. But now it's like you get to go there. You get to see it experience it um while, over over the course of a couple of days and yeah i mean that's it's one of their destination trail puts it on it's supposed to be like one of the more one of the more difficult races of their 200s um it's definitely a lot of climbing i think that i think a lot a big reason for that it's it's very unaccessible to like crew so like if you have a lot of crew with you it's very difficult to get to some of the parts so runners end up having to do a lot of it alone which could lead to some more of the difficulty, but you know, it can't, it can't be harder than that than Cocodona. So I mean, what do you take away from Cocodona to prepare for another 200, just a couple months from now? I mean, I take away that, like, I mean, it's not going to be harder than that. So like if the fact that I, I was able to finish that, it just gives you some, some confidence and just like, well, you can cover the distance. Like that's never going to be the concern from here on out. It's not like, an unknown of like, Oh wow. Like 200 miles. Like I don't know how to tackle that. Now it's just like trying to take away little bits and pieces and ways to improve and stuff like sleep, stuff like terrain, stuff like training. Um, so that's like the biggest things I'm taking away. And then just trying to incorporate like the past experiences with some other strategy items and just trying to capitalize on that and have a good race. Yeah. You think you'll do um, Cocodona again? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I haven't signed up. I was going to sign up because they were like, oh, yeah, discount, sign up. I mean, it was like $20 off, so I'm like, I'll just wait. Yeah. Um, but what yeah, you think you'll do diff- What would you do differently if you do it again? If anything. Uh, I mean, it- I mean, there's a lot of there's I mean there's a lot I would do differently. I mean, it's just but a, a big part of it is just knowing the course just helps so much. Like you could just tell from the people who had done it or the locals in the area. Just like being familiar with what was coming up and the terrain is like such a big benefit. Like it's enormous. Like I don't know if it's on the order of magnitude of like 10 hours or whatever, 5 hours of benefit, mm-hmm. but just that stuff just Helps you plan ahead, helps you kind of prepare like drop bags and things like that accordingly, helps you train better. Um, it just takes out just like uncertainty from the equation. And, and yeah, and there's also just like, I just had a bad rate. I like fell in the water. There's like stuff like the first section just killed me. Just stuff yeah. that like try to eliminate and just see what you can do. Um, Oh, yeah, no, I'm excited. So as hard as this race was, it's obviously not the first time you've done hard things, right? You you completed Tahoe. Your first 200-miler, your feet were disaster. disaster. The Backyard Ultra. You've done looped races. Yeah. What do you think you learned about yourself as an athlete this past race that you hadn't experienced or discovered about yourself in any of your other challenges? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would say something like, you know, the human body, you know, can, you know, never underestimate it. But I kind of like went through some of those experiences already. I mean, 
I don't even, what I would learn is just like, I learned what I need to work on. Like I, I need to work on a lot of climbing and I need to like, it just exposed your weaknesses so much in this race more than like other races. I didn't feel like in other races, I was like really like just exposed, like in terms of even with some of the races, a lot of climbing, like elevation, like, cause this was probably the only the second race I've done with like serious elevation and like serious conditions like that. Next to Tahoe, you're saying? Yeah. I mean, it's all like Tahoe was tough and it was definitely the toughest thing I did at that point. Like there was a lot of climbing but one, like the weather was never an issue. Like it was never hot at Tahoe. Like maybe the last day it was warm. But in fact, it, it snowed and hailed on day one. Yeah, I mean, and, and Tahoe starts at like 5,000, 6,000 feet. So it's starting pretty cool. Like it was like cold, like maybe 40 degrees for most of the race, 40, 50 degrees. So that was just like never an issue. So just taking that out of the equation was big. I mean, the climbing was tough and the elevation stuff was difficult, but I didn't really feel just like exposed in terms of just like everything that that I don't like, which is climbing and just like super hot conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, So just like makes you understand what you need to focus on. But I've always been good at just like having a good, ability to just push through like good mental like you know mental strength of just like getting through a lot of like the low points like i've always been pretty good at that um which which benefits people in like these long races um because it's very easy to drop out i mean why like who cares like there's 200 people doing it maybe you got a couple friends watching you on the tracker like there's no prize money like most of the people watching, like, if you're concerned about their opinion, like, they're not doing it. So it's like, what are they really going to say? So there's not really much reason besides, like, you just have to be personally motivated. If you think about your career as an athlete, what motivates you going forward? What are you after? Are you driven for the adventure and, like, to explore different parts of the world? Do you want to just go bigger and bigger? Are you after the suffering to overcome it? Do you want to go faster? Do you want to win races? I mean, you you dedicate an incredible amount of time and money into this sport. And I'm curious, when you look out, you know, three, four years from now, what do you want to have accomplished? What, um, you know, what are you excited about? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I definitely am not doing it for fun. Like, I'm definitely not doing it really for the, like, like the sightseeing component some people are like some people you could use it as a vacation right like, yeah i mean some people like like they have a lot of companies out there that people go and run and do like these run tours like these run like traveling type of vacations like i'm not doing it for that like i'm i'm doing it one because i like that it's something that and originally i just had no interest in originally i thought it was like an impossible feat like no one can do this like this is insane but now that i can do it like i like the fact that i can complete it so i like the fact that it's super difficult and a lot of people just like can't wrap their head around it like i do like that but i'm doing it like i'm definitely trying to improve and like get better i don't know if i'm like ever gonna win like a race of that caliber 
like a big 200 mile race. Cause like I said, there's not too many of them. So it attracts like the best ultra runners in the world, like at that distance. But I would like to get like top 10 or something like that. Like, I think that is a goal that I can reasonably point to in like a big 200 top 10, like top 10, something like that. Um, so that's definitely like the focus. I mean, look, there's definitely like a smaller things along the way, just like being a little more resilient and like, it definitely helps in like your day-to-day life. Like stuff comes, becomes a little less just like extreme. Like after you undergo something like that, like maybe you pull an all nighter or something, you've had a rough week in the office. Like it's just never as bad. It's just like never as tough as that. Like it's never going to be. So it just helps put it in perspective. You're never going to be hyperventilating in a bivy. Yeah, exactly. You're never just going to be so like, maybe you you don't get a lot of sleep. Like, all right, maybe you put in a couple hundred mile, hundred hour weeks in the office, but you're sleeping a lot. Like that's a lot of sleep. I think about a hundred hour a week, you know, you're working while you work 20 hours a day, Monday through Friday. That's four hours of sleep. Like, that's pretty good. So, I'm, I'm thinking, like, okay, it's, two, it's four hours of sleep, but you're working 20 hours a day, but you're not, like, running. Like, you're just kind of sitting there. And it's it's tough on your body. It's, like, fatigue. But then you, you just about to put it in perspective. So, it makes it, like, more reasonable. You can accomplish, like, you know, you don't really, like, rule anything out. Like, stuff kind of is more achievable and attainable. So, I like I like those aspects of it, which I kind of try to, to build on. Um but yeah, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm trying to improve and trying to just um, become a better runner. Awesome. Well, uh, Chad, I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we did it. It went pretty well. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I think it went pretty well. Um, Thanks for the questions. Good questions. Yeah, I, I, that's that's really what it was about. I'm like, you know, there's just so much more here. I knew there'd be some interesting stuff to talk about. And for the eight people listening, yeah, for the for the max eight, max eight, minimum you ever find us one on the on the while they're sleeping podcast. <laughs> Let us know if you uh, want more of these. We'll uh, we'll do another one in a couple of months when Chad comes back again from the Bigfoot race. But until then, find Chad on Strava. Give him some kudos. <laughs> yeah, desperate for kudos. And uh, don't make excuses for why you can't run. Oh, yeah, don't wait. make excuses for why you can't run. That's the biggest. I, I remember the that. question. I think I was most excited to ask you this question. So, Chad, over the years, this will be the last one. Over the years, we've had a lot of like silly sayings between the two of us to, you know, kind of keep us motivated. You know, things like while they're sleeping, if it were easy, everyone would do it. It's not for everyone, you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Was there was there any of those or any other kind of like mantra that you that you had in your head during this race so like is there anything like that that keeps you going or is it truly just i need to i just got to keep going i don't know if there's any mantras but i mean i don't know i do always just hate the excuses though. i mean like that's like of all the things that like people say or like things people do to annoy me, like people just like giving these excuses, like, Oh, I really want to train for a marathon, but I don't have any time. It's like stuff like that. Like I don't, I wouldn't really think about that during the race, but like, I guess that's just completely unrelated and doesn't even answer your question. But yeah, 
that kind of stuff is just like you meet the people, the kind of people who are doing these races. These aren't like 99% of them. They're not professionals. They're like, they have full-time jobs and they just make it a priority. Like it's one thing to say you're not interested in it or that it's not a priority. Like you don't have time because you're doing X, Y, Z instead. But if you claim that you really want to run a marathon, you really want to run a half marathon and you don't have time to commit four or five hours a week to running. I'm just not hearing it. This is not something that I believe for 99% unless you're the president of the United States. Like I don't know who doesn't have four hours a week. If it's something that they actually claim that they want to do that, they are actually making time to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, no, that really came in my mind in a race. I mean, I did think about like, I did think about like, Oh, but you know, cause I obviously took time off at work. I think about like, Oh yeah. Like everyone at the office is kind of just like going about their day. And it's kind of like, I kind of like the fact that they're just going about their day and I'm just out here like running. Like, I, I do enjoy that. That just like huge, just like dichotomy and just like same time of day, but we're just doing such different things. Totally different. But like last week I was doing that. So it's kind of just like, all right, well, it's it's cool to be able to do both. Um, so that kind of keeps you going and like helps you push. But yeah. Well said. Well, maybe we'll... uh We'll close in honor of Andy and use his saying, we'll let this podcast be everyone's daily reminder to do hard things. Daily reminder to do hard things. Daily reminder to do hard things. Get out. He's he's probably running right now. While we're sitting here for two hours, he's, he's probably running right 100%. now. 100%. It's probably his third run of the day. Wrapping up a 150-mile week. Yep. Well, Chad, thanks again. And if anyone happened to listen to this, thanks for giving us a couple yeah, hours a, of your time. A, so. What do you say? Five star Follow and subscribe <laughs> on, on Spotify like button. <laughs> or wherever you smash that like button and share. Oh, it's fantastic. All, All right. right. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks.